Hey, if you brought a Bible with you today, please take that out now. Open it up to the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible today, grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service. Copy of God's Word for you. It's important that we have it, that we're in it, that we're reading it, meditating on it. It's alive. It's active. It's doing a work in us continually. Amen? All right, Mark chapter 2. We pick up in verse 23 where we left off last week. I, I mentioned last week that kind of in two weeks, last week and this week, we're kind of looking at a couple of different things that had, kind of, that had gotten carried away when people got a hold of the law of God. God's heart behind his law to us is to bless us in every way. When we follow the word of God, when we follow the law of God, we are blessed. The problem is man gets a hold of things tries to help God out, and it turns blessing into burden. Last time we talked about prayer and fasting and giving to the poor, those types of things, that it become a burden, it become a legalistic thing, it become a way that, that man can feel better about himself, that he can feel holy and all of these types of things, totally missing again God's heart behind these, these actions. And I mentioned the Sabbath, which is what we're going to look at today, kind of took on a whole life of its own. We're going to look at two separate Sabbath occurrences. The Gospel of Luke records these events for us as well, as does the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, Luke chapter 6, if you want to follow up with that, reading those accounts later um, in your study. But Luke tells us that these are two separate days that, that take place here. But we're going to look at them together this morning. Let's start chapter 2 of Mark, verse 23. It says, And it happened that he, Jesus, was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, saying to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Chapter three, verse one, he entered again into a synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered. They, the Pharisees, were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. The Sabbath, a day of rest that God set aside for the children of Israel, that they would recognize it as a day of rest. It's the fourth commandment. I could, I'll turn there real quickly for you. It's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 20, God giving the list of the commandments. And it says, beginning in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to keep it set apart, to sanctify it. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, or those who sojourn with you, and stay with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He said, because God created all things in six days, rested on the seventh, not because he was tired, but because the work was done, he said, now, set that day apart, a day of rest, do no work. The Sabbath day, the seventh day, falls on Saturday as to how they, they look, the days of the week then. And it's God's desire, again, to bless them, to give them a time of rest, because he knows our bodies need rest. He knows our tendencies. He knows what we, he says, set that aside, but not only to rest our bodies, but to have an opportunity to fellowship with God, to commune with him. That was God's desire behind it. It was to bless not to become a burden, but again, man gets involved. What does it mean to rest? And, and we'll get in that in just a little bit. But my goodness, the burden that was added. Here's a test to know if it's God's word, if it's God's will, if it's God's command to you. If it becomes burdensome, you have gone outside of the will of God. Because it says very plainly in God's word, 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God. Notice, his heart that we keep his commandments. His love toward us is that we keep his commandments. Why? Not again because he wants dutiful servants, because he knows that if and when we do, we will be blessed. But notice it says, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. His desire again is to bless and not burden. Here we see in these two separate events, and the first one we're going to look at is Jesus and his disciples walking through these grain fields that are there. And notice again, the Pharisees come out with this question. They say, look, look at what they're doing. They're doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, it wasn't the act that they were doing. They were walking by a grain field, not their own, they were grabbing a handful of grain off of a stalk. They were doing this in their hand to separate the wheat from the chaff, blowing in that to, to blow off the chaff, popping the grain in their mouth and eating it. That was not what was against the law. That was, that was not the problem. A few years ago, one of the blessings that we have living in, in this area is just to be around all of the agriculture and all of the things that are happening. And I was following this guy. I was on my way home, and I was following behind this guy, and he pulled off to the side of the road, broad daylight. And this particular field that we were driving by was growing pumpkins. Pulls off the side of the road. I pass him, keep driving. I look in my rearview mirror. He gets out of his car, runs into the field, grabs one of the pumpkins, runs back, throws it in his car, and starts to drive away. Guys, that's stealing. That is, that is theft. So if you've ever done that, repent. Don't ever do that again. That pumpkin belongs to somebody else. You can go ask the guy if you can buy one, but don't go do that. But that's not what was taking place here. You see, God made a provision. He talked to the children of Israel as a way to bless one another. He says, if you have a field, you are not to cultivate the entire field. As a matter of fact, along the roadways where people would be walking, you are to leave the grain standing. If you have a, if you have a, a grape, a vineyard, you're to leave rows of grapes that are unpicked. Why? For just this very reason. Somebody walking by that's hungry, 
can grab a handful of grain, can grab a handful of grapes, and, and be able to continue on their journey. And you can bless them by doing that. God said, told the people of children of Israel to do that. It's interesting because, again, he knows us. He knows our, our tendency when we are given an inch to take a mile. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 23. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied, but you shall not put any in your basket. <laughs> you can take some grapes and eat them, but don't fill up a basket full and take it home. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Don't go and harvest. Don't, back, don't take your truck over there and fill it up. But if you need a handful, if you need some nourishment, sustenance as you're going along again, that's the blessing. That's not what they were talking about. They were talking about the fact that they were doing it on the Sabbath, and that simple act that they were saying is they're working. They're working on the Sabbath. You see, the Jewish Pharisees, we've talked of this before, take God's law and make it burdensome. They, 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 they literally start with, with just this minor amount, this small law that, Jesus, that, the, that God gives. As a matter of fact, when he says the Sabbath, there's only four instances in the Old Testament where that's quantified at all. You're not to start a fire on the Sabbath. You're not to gather wood or, or fuel for a fire on the Sabbath. You are not to carry a, a burden on the Sabbath, and you're not to transact business on the Sabbath. Other than that, God, I, I think, assumes that we're going to understand. We're to rest. He puts some parameters there. But man gets a hold of that. The Talmud, man-made, has 24 chapters devoted to what is work and what's lawful on the Sabbath, what's not lawful on the Sabbath. There are 39 categories of different ways that you can work with 39 subcategories to each one to help define even that. You are allowed on the Sabbath day to spit on a rock, but you're not allowed to spit in the dirt because if you spit in the dirt, it might be on a slight incline or decline and the spittle would get into the dirt and, and go down and would be plowing. No joke, not making that up. You are allowed to carry a weight, but nothing greater than that of a dried fig. You can't carry it in your open hand. You can carry it on the back of your hand. I don't quite understand the, the point behind that. But all of these different regulations, even about that, if you are carrying, now, by the way, Sabbath begins on Friday night when three stars are visible in the sky. They blow a trumpet, and that announces the beginning of the Sabbath. If you are carrying a sack of potatoes and the trumpet blows, you drop it. You come back when the trumpet blows again the next night, Saturday night when three stars are, and you hope it's still there. But you, can't, you cannot, you have to drop the burden right there. Ladies, you're not allowed to look in a mirror on the Sabbath because if you see a gray hair, you might be tempted to pluck it, and that's harvesting. <laughs> you can't start a fire. You can't, there's all of these different things, and it continues to this day. I know a few of you just got back from Israel. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that on the Sabbath day, you do not want to get in the Sabbath elevator, especially if you're in a high-rise hotel, because the Sabbath elevator stops at every floor, all the way up and all the way down to keep you from doing any work or starting an electrical current by pushing the button on the floor that you want to get on. So you, get, you don't get on that elevator. All sorts of these. I mean, they just go on and on. 
Here, in our, in our story here in chapter two, the disciples are guilty of harvesting by just grabbing a handful of grain, by ch- ch- separating the wheat from the chaff and all of that just to get a mouthful. With every mouthful, they're saying they're breaking three or four Sabbath laws in every one of those. Again, turning the rest into a burden. And notice, I mean, I just, this just to me just drips with hypocrisy. They are working so hard to find error in anybody else. They're, they're putting way more effort into that than the disciples were in just getting a mouthful of food. They multiply requirements. They marginalize exceptions, and Jesus points that out. Again, God's heart behind the Sabbath was not legalistic following this. Again, it was to bless. And he points to the story of King David. If you want to read it on your own, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 21. But David fleeing from Saul, a group of men with him, tells us that, that he was hungry. He didn't have any food to eat. And so he goes up. There's this small town, and he goes there, and he goes, goes to where he knows that there will be food. There's bread that is only for the priests. But he goes and he says, give me, give me that bread. And it's probably even on the Sabbath day that this is happening because he couldn't find bread anywhere else. And it says that he gave it to them. But notice it tells us here that Jesus points it out that David was in need. He and those who were with him were, were hungry. And that takes priority over ceremonial law. Jesus, again, pointing out the fact that God's heart is to bless. Interesting and ironic that David at this time was already anointed by God as king, but Israel didn't recognize him as king. And here we have the king of kings, the Messiah, telling the story, and Israel has not, does not recognize him as such. But I think overall, the biggest issue that we highlight in this is the, that this legalistic attitude, this man-made burdens that put on it, is again, they miss the whole point. It says, it, Jesus points out that the Sabbath was made for man. It was made as a blessing to us, not as, as the, that man was made for the Sabbath. He knows us. He knows what we need. Matthew's account, again in Matthew chapter 12, it records these words of Jesus in this same conversation. He says, but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Jesus is saying they're not guilty of breaking any law. If you understood the compassionate heart of God, you'd see that. Now, before we move on from this, I think it's important because we can easily, easily look at them and say, oh, those legalistic Pharisees. But that can so subtly creep into us in our, in our Christian lives if we're not careful. Legalism is simply adding something to a completed work. Understand, guys, and we, we don't agree with this as Christians, that it's by grace alone that we are saved. But we need to understand this also as Christians. It is by grace alone that we are kept. Some of us feel like, okay, okay, God God saved me. I got that. But the rest is up to me after that. No, guys, it's only by God's grace. And adding anything to the grace of God to somehow earn favor with God 
or to, or to put burdens on other people. I had a, a, just an awesome conversation with a young man last night after the service, and he was talking to me about how God has just really been laying on his heart, a teenager, about some of the things that, that had been okay in his life that God was telling him, you know, I want you to get rid of that. But he also understood that it's not up to him to tell other people, you have to get rid of this. He understood that God was dealing with him. And if he was telling others, because it's not, it's not something that's out against the God's word, but it was something that God was dealing with his heart. And how, how awesome it was that a, that a young man, a teenager, gets it. That it's not these legalistic burdens that we place on one another. Because when we do that, it can have the opposite effect. And Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 14. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, obviously, if there's moral failure, if there's those types of things, we need to get involved. But when we're talking about certain things that God might be working on us, God might be dealing with us, that is a personal thing, not a burden to be placed on someone else. Again, if God's doing that, you'll find it. It's not burdensome. It's not burdensome. Well, we move into the, the second account here in chapter three. And it's interesting because notice it tells us that the Pharisees come to the synagogue on the Sabbath not to hear the word of God proclaimed, not to pray, not to bless one another, but to watch Jesus and see if he's gonna mess up, if he's gonna break another Sabbath law. And they're going to see if he would heal. How is healing someone breaking the Sabbath law? Well, you wouldn't believe all of the rules and regulations when it came to being a doctor on the Sabbath. You, you, cannot, if, if you cannot set a bone, a broken bone on the Sabbath, unless it's a compound fracture, the bone's sticking out, then you can help out a little bit, but you can't set the bone until the next day. If someone is bleeding and needing stitches, you can bandage it up enough to, to stop them from bleeding to death, but you can't do the stitches until the next day. A whole bunch of things like that. Basically, you can, you can keep somebody from dying, but that's about it. <laughs> Everything else, you just suffer till the next day. There were a couple of exceptions. Ladies, pregnant, go into labor. You can have a baby on the Sabbath. You don't have to hold it till the next day. <laughs> Another one was circumcision. If the eighth day after birth happened to fall on the Sabbath, it was okay to circumcise. But basically, nothing else. And so they're just waiting. They're just wanting Jesus. They want Jesus just to heal somebody so that they can say, oh, you broke the Sabbath again here. They knew his reputation. They had seen him. They had heard of him, that he's compassionate. They're like, man, he can't help it. If there's somebody here that's sick, he's gonna heal him, and we got him. What kind of heart. We see the Pharisees here, and you can only imagine, again, as we've been studying through, we see that everywhere Jesus goes now, there's a huge crowd. So can you imagine the synagogue? It's like standing room only. There are people everywhere. No doubt people outside, again, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, trying to just listen in through the door. And among the crowd of people, there is a man there, and all we know about him is that he has a withered hand. Dr. Luke in chapter 6 tells us it's his right hand. That's about the only, the only extra information we get in the other two accounts. We don't know what, did, what happened to cause it, if it was an accident, if it was a disease. 
It seems to indicate in the language that it's something that happened to him. He wasn't born that way. But we don't, understand, we don't know anything else about it. And when I, when, I, when I play this out in my mind, I see a man coming on the Sabbath, probably like he did every week, loves God, coming in traditional, wearing a robe, and I, I'm guessing that he probably has his hand covered up because he doesn't want anybody to see, maybe, maybe hiding that, trying to be invisible, trying to blend in just like everybody else. But Jesus, knowing, Luke tells us, knowing the hearts, knowing the minds of the Pharisees, knowing why they're there, he tells this guy in the middle of this whole, stand up. Stand up so that everybody can see, that everybody in the room can witness what is about to take place. And when he does, He's obedient to Jesus, and he doesn't run out of the room. He just, he's just standing there, every, all eyes on him. And Jesus then challenges the Pharisees. He says, let's, let's talk about the law. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? With that question, Jesus is asking, if you do something good on the Sabbath, is that breaking the law? But what about something that's evil? If you do evil, isn't that more breaking the law? The Bible tells us, James records this for us, that if we know that something, that, that it's good to do something, if we to get involved in something, if we know that it's good and we refuse to do it, that is sin. So Jesus just putting that right out there. If there's something good to be done and we know it and we don't do it, then he raises the bar again, knowing their hearts, knowing their minds. Is it lawful to save a life or to kill on the Sabbath? And it says they don't respond. They, they, know, they know that they don't. How do you answer that? How can you possibly answer that? So they sit there and they don't say a word. And notice Jesus' response then. It tells us that he looks around with, with anger. He's looking in their eyes. He's, he's waiting for a response from them. And the word there anger, wrath. He is, he's very upset. But notice the next word, grieving. He's angry, yes, but he's grieving in his heart because of the hardness of their hearts. That word literally means it's an unwillingness to understand. They refuse. Here it is right before them, the truth that's been laid before them. They stand. They don't have an answer to it. But instead of repenting, instead of realizing, their hearts only get harder. And Jesus grieves over that. Jesus then says to the man, stretch out your hand. Now again, I don't know. Maybe some there in the room knew that his hand was withered. I'm guessing that not all did. But here he is, his hand's covered. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And if he... I'm just playing this out in my mind. He's like, well, if I stretch out my hand, everybody's going to see I have a problem. And I just as soon leave that all covered up, if you don't mind. He did, though. He stretches out his hand. And when he did, it tells us it was immediately restored, just like the other. He stretched out. 
that in the Greek is an active verb, something that he did under his own volition, under his own power. He stretched out. He responded to the command of Jesus in faith. And as he did, he just put it out there. Notice the next word. He stretched out and. (laughs) That's that conjunction, connecting it together. His hand was restored. That verb is passive. He didn't heal it. He didn't have anything to do. All he did was respond in faith, and the result of his faith was his hand was healed. Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. When we seek God, when we seek God with all of our heart, the Bible tells us that we find him. He allows us to be found by him. He reveals his will to us. And when we respond in faith to his revealed will to us, God works. God moves. Our faith is rewarded. And here we see this in this man. What a glorious thing. And again, two things can happen when you witness a miracle of God like that. You can either repent and turn to him or you can harden your heart and we see, unfortunately, the Pharisees' response. They They knew this man's hand was withered. They were watching to see if he'd heal him. And then he did. And instead, again, of giving glory to God, look at what it says. Verse six, they went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. (laughs) Now, just a little note on that. The Pharisees, as we've discussed, we know a lot about them. They're very loyal to the the Jewish people, to the, the Jewish faith. They're a religious group. They're super religious. (laughs) And they hate the Romans. The Herodians, on the other hand, faithful and loyal to Herod, and because of that, they're loyal to Rome, very worldly, have really nothing to do with the religious side of things. Here, these two opposites come together, united in their hatred for Jesus, in an attempt, notice they're, they're plotting and planning to destroy him, to kill him. I guess that's okay on the Sabbath. You can't, you can't heal somebody, which, by the way, how much work did Jesus, Jesus just said, stretch out your hand. Yet here they are plotting to kill Jesus. Well, in the time that we have left, I want to turn our attention away from the, the stories here and, and, and focus on, on the Sabbath. Again, God's heart in the Sabbath, it is a gift to us. So why, as, why do we, as Christians, not observe the Sabbath? That's a question that's asked a lot. Well, the answer is, we should. <gasps> Are we worshiping on the wrong day then? No, that's not what I mean. We should observe the Sabbath. Because Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that that. No one should judge you when it comes to observances on the Sabbath and other types of things because he clarifies it for us. He tells us why. Because he says those things are the shadow, the substance is Christ. 
And we now, on this side of the cross, we now know the substance being Christ and the freedom and the rest that we have in him. Guys, every day should be a Sabbath day. Every moment of every day should be a Sabbath moment for us. Because again, all of those things pointed to Jesus. The substance. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. Because the Bible's not silent about what this means for us. Hebrews chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I'll give you a little run up to it because Hebrews chapter three ties directly into it. It speaks there. It's talking about the children of Israel and they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt and the, the time that they spent in the wilderness. And this, this generation that, was, that came out of Egypt did not enter into the promised land, enter into God's rest because of disobedience, because of la their lack of faith. As a matter of fact, that's how chapter 3 ends, if you'll note verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. They were not able to enter his rest, enter into the promised land because they were disobedient in their unbelief. Chapter 4, therefore, let us fear. If while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. It's not enough to just hear the promises of God. It's not enough to just know the promises of God. We have to own them by faith. For we, verse 3, who have believed enter that rest, just as he also said, as they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished before the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage that he had quoted earlier, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a day, today, saying through David after so long a time, just as he had said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. Verse 9, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest. This is the only time that word is used in the New Testament for the people, for the children of God. Sabbath rest. Now that rest that we have as born-again believers is multifaceted. First of all, we rest in our justification. We have the rest of justification, being declared righteous, declared holy before a holy and righteous God. We have peace with God, and we can take great rest in that. Our sin, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and our sin make us, make us enemies of God. There's no neutral ground in this. 
but it is because of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, taking the wrath of God upon himself, pouring his blood out for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, we can have peace with God. Guys, this is first and foremost, we can't have anything else without it. We understand that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We can add nothing to it. Jesus hung on the cross and he cried out, it is finished, paid in full. He didn't say it is started and you take it from here. He said it's finished. Faith with nothing else saves. Everything without faith can't save. So if you are here today and you have never made Jesus Lord of your life, you've never confessed your sin before before your creator, you've never repented of your sin, turned and received the free gift of salvation that was purchased on the cross for you. The word today, I hope it jumps off the page at you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Don't turn away. Receive the free gift. You can have peace with God today and you can have rest in justification. But it goes beyond that. For those of us born-again believers here today, it goes beyond the rest of justification. We have the rest of glorification. We know that there is a day coming when we will be in heaven and we'll be there forever and we will have peace in the presence of God for all eternity. And we can have the rest in that because, again, the work is done. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. The work is done. We can have that blessed assurance, that absolute hope that heaven is our destination. Now, when we're talking about the rest, back in chapter 3 here, that they were talking about the promised land, the promised land is a picture of what? Anyone? Uh, Nobody's going to step out there. Okay, it's not heaven. How do we know that? Because when the the Israelites entered the promised land, when they got into the promised land, what's the first thing they had to do? Fight a war, fight a battle, continue taking ground, all of that throughout the whole. Heaven's not going to be anything like that, guys. No, the promised land is a picture of the victorious Christian life that you and I can have. It's It's the life that God desires for us to have here, this side of heaven. Jesus said, I came that you could have life and have it abundantly. And that's what I want to focus on in our last minutes here because there is a rest while we are here. The rest of sanctification. The peace of God. What are the barriers? What is the barrier to that peace, to that rest? Unbelief. Unbelief. Look at here, Hebrews chapter 4. Let's continue. Verse 10. For the one who has entered this rest has himself also rested from his work, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent. Notice, us. Christian author writing to the Christian church. Let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall fall through following the same example of disobedience. The same example of the children of Israel. The example of their disobedience, which began immediately as soon as they are rescued out of Egypt. 
God miraculously delivers them from slavery in Egypt. They're moving through the desert. They're moving through the wilderness. They come to the the Red Sea. They turn around. God's leading them by this giant pillar of, 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 of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. He's shown his power and his might every, everywhere that they turn. They turn around, and here come the Egyptians. And what do they say? Oh, there weren't enough graves in Egypt? He had to bring us out here to kill us? Oh, if you'd have just left us alone in Egypt. Well, they took their eyes off of all-powerful God, and they looked at the circumstance right in front of them. They didn't believe. God promised them deliverance. But the first obstacle that comes, the first difficult time that comes, they crawl, throw up their hands. Unbelief. Well, we know what happens then. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. And then as soon as they get to the other side, the Egyptians start coming in after them. God, the water comes in, drowns them all, destroys their enemy. Yay, God. Oh, my goodness, I'm sorry we doubted you. You're awesome. Three days later, no water. Oh, we're going to die. You, you couldn't have left us in Egypt. At least we had water there. And God provides again. Manna. When God brings manna from heaven, he, gives it, it tell, he tells Moses, this is a test. You only take what you need for today. Now, the test in that is, I'm trusting God for tomorrow. He said he's going to provide for it every day, but do I believe him? And so many didn't. They took enough for today, and when nobody was looking, they grabbed some more for tomorrow. And what happened to that? It rotted, maggots, worms, all that kind of stuff. And again, do we trust God for tomorrow? Do we, we, okay, we believe, okay, he's blessing me right now, but oh man, it could run out real fast. And then ultimately, the main reason and the, the, what it all points to, like I said, these are just symptoms all the way along here. It's, it's, it's a heart that doesn't trust God. It's a heart that doesn't believe his promises. They get to the promised land, and they send in 12 spies. And the 12 spies come back carrying this bunch of grapes that it takes two men with a huge staff between them to, because the bunch of grapes is so big. And they come back and they say, it's just like God said. A land of milk and honey. You wouldn't believe all of the amazing things we saw, but the people, they're giants. They'll squash us like ants, so let's go that way. (laughs) Except Joshua and Caleb, they're like, doesn't matter how big they are. They can stand on top of each other. Who cares? We serve God, and we've seen him come through time and time again, but the people didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb, they listened to the others, and that entire generation was not allowed to enter into everything that God had for them. So we see the the barrier to that same with us, trusting God, believing in God for everything, is a barrier for you and I to, to miss out on what God has for us right here, right now. The secret to rest is faith. How many of you have ever taken a nap in a hammock? Isn't it just awesome? I mean, is there a more comfortable place when you're tired and, a, and you got a nice breeze blowing and you got, you're in the shade between two trees just kind of going back and forth? I mean, just, is there a more comfortable place? How, much, how many of you could get any rest if you were worried about the knots that were tied and the trees that they were tied to? And how old is this hammock anyway? Is there any dry rod? Is it, you're all worried about it? You're not going to get any rest. 
Guys, God desires for us to experience so much more. All that he is. All that he desires to be for us. Not to just give us. Understand, the Bible tells us very specifically that he is our substance. The shadow is this other. He is the substance. He is our hope. Anybody dealing with uncertainty this morning? Doubts? Do you want to have absolute assurance today? He is our hope. And not hope like the, Bible, like the world describes, but biblical hope means absolute, total assurance. Hebrews 6.19, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. It is immovable. But that hope is him. He is our hope. He is our joy. Anybody dealing with sorrow today? Brokenhearted? Do you want real joy? You see, happiness... There's a difference. Happiness and joy. Happiness caused by circumstances can be taken away by a different circumstance. Joy can never be taken away from you. The joy of the Lord can never be taken away. If you want real joy, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our peace. And if you're troubled about something, just can't, just can't get it out of your mind, fearful, you want real peace? Peace that passes understanding? Peace that goes beyond our, our capability to even understand? Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. He is our rest. Any weary? Worn out, burned out? Needing some real, true rest? Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Carrying around all of these burdens, all of this, all of this stuff, and Jesus is just saying, would you just bring it to me? Give it to me? We somehow are, we impress ourselves by the fact that, man, I was able to make it through and, and power through when all, if we would simply just give it to the Lord. I heard recently of a man who I would have to say is probably the world's strongest man. His name is Kevin Fast. He's from Canada. He's actually a pastor. And he set the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest amount of weight pulled by one single man. He pulled a C-17 cargo plane that weighed 208 tons, 28 feet he harnessed himself to this plane and he moved it 28 feet just 
by his own power. But I'm here to tell you today, guys, there is a much easier way. We can pull it if we want, or we can get in and let the power of our risen Lord and King carry the load. We need to stop striving, stop straining, stop stressing. So much of it at times, even we as Christians, we're doing all of this because we somehow feel we need to impress God. We need to earn his favor. Guys, we can't. It's his desire that we give him all of that and that he will freely bless us. All of those things are the opposite of rest. But if we're going to have the rest that he desires for us to have, we have to, we have to put the burden down. We've got to unhook the harness. It's interesting, when, the, when interviewed, talking about that, they asked him, what, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, but is it harder to get it going or harder to keep it going? The answer is to keep it going because the more strain and energy you put towards that, the weight gets heavier and heavier as you get weaker and weaker. I'm so glad, so glad. I haven't seen it in years, but there used to be a bumper sticker out that says, God is my co-pilot. Remember that? Remember seeing that? God is not your co-pilot. As a matter of fact, you're not his either. He doesn't want you in the cockpit. Get out, get in the back of the plane, start serving the other people. <laughs> we are called to serve. The Bible tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand, that we would walk in them. But again, when we're doing that in his power, in his strength, it's not burdensome. It's not wearisome. We don't get burned out doing that. I, when I talk to people and they say, man, I am just burned out in ministry. You are pulling the load. Unhook. <laughs> Seek the Lord and say, all right, Lord, what is it that you desire for me? Because he'll give you what you need. It's not burdensome. And so many dealing with, with real troubles, real doubts, real fears. Real, they're very, very real. But Jesus says, give those to me. As we, as we close, let's read verse 14 through 16, Hebrews 4. Therefore, because this is such a promise to us, it's right here. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to embrace, I believe, many of us here today, what the Lord is, is speaking through his word to us. I got to say, I, got, I was so blessed to be at a pastor's conference earlier this week out on the East Coast. And the Lord spoke to me very tenderly, but personally, and some areas in my life that I was still carrying. I was still straining in my own strength. And I, I, I was able to lay those things down. And again, I'm telling you, the peace that floods you at that moment where you just realize, okay, I wasn't supposed to be doing this. I got to trust that God's going to take care of it. 
All the man did in our story back in chapter three today was obey what Jesus said. That's all he did. Jesus said, stood up, he stood up. Jesus said, stretch out your hand, he stretched out his hand. Jesus is telling us today, come to me. All of you, weary and heavy laden. That's his command. That's all our, that is all that we need to do. And if we respond in faith as this man did, we can expect that God is going to move. That God is going to release it. So we need our, our responsibility, come to Jesus and put down the weight. We need to leave the uncertainty and the hopelessness and take hope. We need to put down the sorrow, the bitterness, the depression, and take joy. We need to put down and leave fear and anxiety and take peace. We need to leave the burden and the burnoutedness. I just made that up. <laughs> and take rest. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song in closing, and I'd like to ask that during this time, we're going to, we'll have people available to pray after, after the song, but I asked, I asked Pastor Brad to play this particular song as a response because it's a prayer response if our heart is in that prayer mode, and it's a response, let's come to Jesus, <laughs> Let's, let's trust him in his word that if we do what he says, he will do what he says. And if you're carrying a burden, if you're dealing with something, if you're struggling, so I'm trusting the Holy Spirit is talking to you. Let's respond. And that man, like I said, he stood up. What did that do? That meant everybody in the room saw. Who cares? He said, stretch out your hand. That means, okay, I'm going to show everybody. Everybody's going to see the problem. You know what? Nobody saw the problem. What they saw was a healed hand. And so I want to encourage you during this, as we sing this song, and again, this is a response, a heart response to what I believe the Lord is doing in our hearts and of many, that if you feel like that, that even a desire to come forward, we'll have up front here. There's a lot of room. We can come up front. We can, we can worship God and pray to him together in song. And afterward, like I said, if you need prayer specifically, we'll have our prayer team up here. But let's use this time to just go before the Lord and really allow him to do what he promises he will. But it takes a step of faith on our part. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. We thank you that, that as born-again believers, we can absolutely rest in the fact that we stand before you justified, blameless, because we're clothed in your righteousness. And because of that, we can rest in our eternity. It is secure in heaven with you. But Lord, you desire so much more for us here and now. So Lord, would you meet us right here where we are? And Lord, our desire is to truly embrace this Sabbath rest that you have for us. So Lord, we ask that you would move in a way that only you can, that you would draw those today who don't know you into that saving relationship with you, and Lord, those who do know you here, Lord, that you would draw us into that deeper fellowship, that rich, abundant, abiding life that you desire for us to have. In Jesus' name, amen.